going to finish the seventh chapter of First Corinthians. You know, beginning in the seventh chapter and continuing throughout the rest of the letter, the Apostle Paul is answering questions that the Corinthians had sent to him. Now, we don't have the questions, only the answers, so we have to read between the lines a bit to discern the specifics of the questions. But it is clear that the questions addressed in chapter 7 focused on the place of sex in marriage, divorce, and the advantages of choosing the single life over marriage. Now, not to worry, we've already covered the first two questions. This morning, we're simply going to look at Paul's response to questions about choosing a single lifestyle. He begins by making it clear that whereas the questions about sex and divorce were moral issues and therefore received answers that were based on commands of Christ or himself as an apostle, the question about whether or not to remain single falls into the area of opinion. But since they asked for his opinion, he was glad to share it. He begins by sharing what he sees as the advantages of what we might call single sainthood, realizing, of course, that we are all called to be saints, to be holy, to be set apart from the world for service to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you should marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin should marry, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. The first advantage Paul sees in remaining single is that you are spared trouble in life. <laughs> now, before you get too hasty about your amen, uh, you know, that's not an indictment on marriage suggesting that it does nothing but bring trouble into your life. He's talking about being spared from the added troubles that do come upon families, especially during times of distress or crisis. Now, what was the present distress in Paul's day? We're not really sure. It may have been a local crisis in Corinth, a, a time of economic uncertainty and high unemployment. And those were indeed conditions that befell many of the Christians because they were segregated from society at large because of their faith and the stands that they take. Or it may have been just a general feeling of national unrest. You know, it would only be another 10 to 12 years until the Romans would feel compelled to completely control Jerusalem and destroy the temple in order to bring Jewish nationalism under control. 
But whatever the situation, Paul felt that Christians living during that time would be better off if they didn't have the responsibilities of a family and the problems that go along with it. Now, again, he's not putting down marriage. And he's not suggesting that Christians should give up on the responsibilities they already have as husbands, wives, moms, and dads. He makes that very clear when he says, are you bound to a wife? Don't try to get out of it. However, he does go on to say that if your spouse has left, he wouldn't recommend looking for another. That during the current distress, it would be advantageous to be single again. Still, he makes it clear there's no sin to get married. He's not commanding anyone to remain single. If they decide to marry, that's fine. But he does think they'll be better off if they don't, especially during the present distress. Now, his advice here is very practical. You know, we've got to remember. Whoops. I turned many pages. Okay. <laughs> you smile on that. <laughs> All right. During times of crisis, like the one I've just experienced, uh, you know, when life is uncertain and society unstable, his practical advice is that it may be wise not to choose to marry and have a family. If times are rough, you may be able to better cope by yourself. You know, coming home to family problems after a, a tough day in the jungle may be more than you want to tackle. And if times are truly perilous, survival may demand quick action and the freedom to take off at a moment's notice. You can't do that very easily with family responsibilities. So, Singleness may be the way to go. There's nothing wrong with choosing the single life and avoiding the problems that must be faced in family living, especially during hard times. That's one obvious advantage to remaining a single saint. We find the second in verses 29 through 31. But this I say, brethren... The time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. I think Paul is here suggesting that the single life makes it easier to maintain proper priorities in life. Now, these priorities apply to all Christians, married or single, but the implication is that it's easier to maintain these priorities if you're a single saint. And once again, Paul bases his opinion on the tensions of life because the time has been shortened. Now, not all agree on what that means. But most believe it's a referring to the second coming. Paul believed Christ could return at any moment. 
And he taught us to live as if that were true. Paul may very well and is likely saying that since Christ is coming soon, it's imperative that we keep our priorities straight, that we keep our lamps full and our wicks trimmed. You don't know what that means? Read the Gospels. Some, however, believe he's simply referring to the shortness of life, that we don't live as long as the patriarchs did, that our time on earth is very short, and we better keep our mind on doing what God has called us to do. For as someone has said, about the time your face clears up, your mind begins to go. (laughs) I love that. But either way, the situation is the same. Even if Christ doesn't return soon, our time on earth is short. So we better keep first things first. We better not let life sidetrack us. We can't let the tears of life drown us in a pool of despair. Nor can we listen to those who would say, since we go around only once in life, we've got to, what, grab all the gusto we can and live only for pleasure and good times. Nor can we let our possessions possess us. We can't get so caught up in the acquisition of things that everything else takes second place. We've got to remember that everything in this world is passing away, even our family relationships. So Paul says those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now again, he's not saying that we should ignore family responsibilities. In 1 Timothy 5.8, he says, If we don't provide for our families, we deny the faith, and we are worse than unbelievers or infidels, is the way the King James puts it. But he is saying that we can't let our spouse or our family draw us away from the Lord. Family must be a high priority, but even Jesus said our love for mother, father, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and even self must appear as hatred in comparison to our love for him. Now, that's not easy. That's not easy. The responsibilities and pressures of a family can easily make a man feel that providing materially for his family is the most important thing in the world. And the sorrows, the sorrows that can result from broken and torn family relationships can be the most profoundly overwhelming emotions a person can experience. Even the joys of life can draw us away from higher responsibilities and religious obligations. And with our hectic schedules, it's easy for Sundays to become a day for family outings, family celebrations, family trips, and even sports events that can relegate family worship and study to something we do only when there is nothing else going on. Worshiping with our family must remain the highest Sunday priority. The implication of all this, again, is that Paul feels it's easier to keep our priorities straight if we do choose not to marry. So there's nothing wrong with choosing to remain a single saint. And there are, in fact, 
advantages in doing so. The final advantage he mentions is found in verses 32 to 35. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. And a woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. I think that's the primary point of all that Paul has to say about the single life, that it makes possible a degree of dedication and devotion to the work of Christ that married life does not allow. Now, Paul's not suggesting, again, that there's anything wrong with trying to please your mate. If we have a mate, we are obligated to do so. What he's saying is if we don't have a mate, our only concern is how to please the Lord. If you don't have to make sure, I mean, you don't have to make sure you spend time with your family if you don't have a family. Okay? And Paul was able to do that traveling all over Asia and Europe, partly because he didn't have to worry about a family. Single life frees you for that kind of ministry. And Paul is, therefore, all for it. Now, I I think there's some wisdom in understanding this, too, for those who, who might think God is calling them to that type of ministry. They may want to give serious consideration to a single lifestyle. I've known far too many children of ministries and ministers and missionaries who were left to die spiritually because mom and dad were committed to a ministry they felt called to fulfill. I think you need to be very careful about that. Paul said he appreciates the fact that if you're not married, you're free to do that. That's an advantage. But he's not trying to lasso anyone into it. The word he uses here uh, refers to putting a restraint on someone, trying to force them into a lifestyle. He's not trying to make anyone feel guilty or saying, if you're going to serve me, you've got to be single. Now, I believe the Catholic Church has run into a problem trying to do that. The intention in requiring celibacy for priests and nuns, no doubt, is based in part on Paul's words. You know, one who is unmarried, is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. You know, what Paul is saying here, I think, is no doubt true. But in their attempt to free those in ministry for undivided devotion to God, I believe the Catholic Church is discouraging people from entering into the ministry who would gladly do so if they weren't required to give up an aspect of life that even the apostle never required anyone to give up. He's not trying to force anyone to go through life without a mate or a family. He's simply sharing what he sees as the advantage. 
of doing so. Now, obviously, not everyone can or should do that. But those who do choose to go through life as single saints do have several distinct advantages over those who accept the responsibilities of married life. They avoid the complications and headaches that go along with the family, but, of course, they also miss out on the joys of a family. Paul's point is simply that it's easier for them to keep their priorities straight. And they can have a degree of single-minded devotion that's impossible for a married saint to have. That's the advantage. But there are also pressures against single sainthood. And Paul's a realist. So he mentions them as well. The first pressure Paul mentions is one that every single person faces, and that is sexual pressure. But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she should be of full age, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Now, did you get all that? No. No. <laughs> this passage is very hard to interpret. Because we really can't be sure who Paul is talking about here when he refers to a man and his virgin. Now, the word daughter is not in the text. Some translations supply it, as the New American Standard Version has done here, and they generally indicate they've inserted a word by the use of italics. Always note that. Now, I used to think when you see something italicized in the Bible, you're supposed to emphasize it. No, no. It simply means it's been added by the translator, okay? So daughter was added. And quite frankly, it was added because Paul speaks of giving his virgin, the man's virgin, in marriage. It sounds like a dad giving his daughter away, so they assume that's what he's talking about. Others insist this is a reference to an engaged couple because the Greek actually says, let them marry, not let her marry. And it could be that he's speaking about a couple that has perhaps postponed their wedding because of the conditions Paul has made reference to. This is a problematic passage. It really is. But the only thing we can know for sure is that it cannot mean it's okay for a father to marry his daughter if he's acting unbecomingly toward her, as some translations make it seem to be saying. So it's a tough passage. Obviously, that can't be so. Only the first two options are possible. And either way, whether this is a reference to a dad not wanting to let his daughter get married, even though she wants to, or to a couple that can't decide, the point seems to be a recognition of the fact that when you arrive at maturity, it will take a firm stance 
and a strong will not to seek full expression of your sexuality. Now, we should note here that through a firm stance and a strong will, it is possible even and especially for a Christian to control his or her sexual drives. We're not victims of unmanageable passions. But God has made us sexual beings. And as a general rule, He has planned for us to marry. It is therefore no sin to decide to marry in spite of the advantages of remaining single that Paul has mentioned. The other pressure against single sainthood can be found, I think, in what Paul has to say about widows remarrying. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. (laughs) Well, here Paul reaffirms the permanency of the marriage bond, that is till death do us part. And he also reaffirms that Christians are not to be yoked together with unbelievers. Christians are to marry only in the Lord. And then he speaks of happiness. He thinks a widow will be happier if she remains unmarried. Now, obviously, she may not agree with that. And I think that is the other pressure against single sainthood. It is true that you may be able to dedicate your remaining years to service for the Lord. And many widows and widowers have found that to be a very fruitful time of undivided ministry. But you may also find those years extremely lonely. Extremely lonely. And God himself said in the Garden of Eden, it's not good for a man to be alone, just before he made a mate for him. So the need for companionship is a real pressure against single sainthood. And there's nothing wrong with giving in to it. And trying to find a Christian mate with whom you can share your life and with whom you can serve the Lord. So yes, there are advantages to being a single saint, And we should thank God for men and women who can dedicate themselves to a life of single sainthood. You know, God may have special work for them to do. But let's not sell short the possibilities of serving the Lord as a family unit either. You know, it may seem that family problems only add to the other problems of life. It's also possible for a family to become a real source of strength and support in times of crisis. And while it may be easier to keep our priorities straight if we don't have family responsibilities, it's often concerns about the family that draw us to the Lord and to the church in the first place. And obviously, if the entire family is committed to the Lord and is seeking the same things out of life, we can help each other be faithful and stay on target. And it may be true 
that we'll be able to spend more time in the Word and in ministry to others if we don't have to worry about pleasing our families. It gets really hard to find quality Bible reading time. You've got kids running everywhere, in the house and out of the house, and you've got so many responsibilities. You might be able to get more done in the Word if you didn't have family to deal with. That makes sense. But we can't forget that our family is also part of our ministry. We might be able to serve others outside the home if we don't have people in the home to serve, but those in the home are part of the church too. Never forget that. You can have ministry right there at home. You can be serving the Lord at home if you understand who you are, what you're called to do, and that your family is part of the kingdom of God. I think that's really, really important. So, you know, it seems to me that the primary issue in this entire passage is not whether we are single or married, but whether or not we're truly saints. Not gilded statues in a cathedral, but men and women who recognize Christ as Lord of their life and have committed everything they have and all they are to Him. So whoever you are, whatever your circumstances in life, single, married, separated, divorced, widowed, or remarried, God loves you and wants you to be one of His saints. And through Christ, through Christ, you can become just that. If you will allow Him to have His way in your life, He will mold you and He will make you into a saint. May we all be willing to say, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way.